Hey everyone, and welcome back to the I-5 Corridor's Traffic Report. I hope you're not on the roads today, or tomorrow really, because it's supposed to be a mess. Shane Hoffman, you're joining me from Zoom. Didn't want you coming across town. How you doing? Did you did you f- survive the first wave of the storm here? Man, survived is an understatement. I was thriving, Tyson. Um, and even taking my car out a little bit yesterday, it was kind of fun, I'm not going to lie. As long as you're safe, you know, there's a little bit of extra something, that, you know, extra oomph to it. You're from the Midwest originally, so driving in these conditions Allegedly. isn't foreign to you. But how how would you assess the overall driving experience out there right now? Not amazing. Um, I was really only driving on my part of town a little bit. Um, but not bad because there's no ice yet. But you were just telling me before we started recording that we're supposed to get an ice storm tomorrow, Tuesday. Um, that worries me a little bit. I think I might stop by the grocery store today. That being said, we had like doomsday um, people like preparing for the apocalypse <laughs> at the new seasons I stopped in the other day just to get like one thing and you know there's no bread in the store you know just it was crazy my my favorite thing from the whole storm was you know you're getting the social media announcements from the various events around town canceling you had like the winter Hawks cancel their game because they said like both teams couldn't make it to the venue and it wasn't safe for the hockey crowd to get there whereas in the same property they had at the Rose Garden, they had Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, and they weren't canceling that shit. You know, it was, it was, it was, it's too tough for the hockey crowd to get there. But they, they still had, I think, the first round of that that comedy show got three thirty, and then they got enough bad press that they eventually canceled the second one. But um, there's there's things that I understand why they're canceled, but it sucks. I mean, I was just telling you before we hopped on, like I was supposed to cover this big MLK Day hoops tournament today, and I was excited for it. Um, but you know, you've got schools coming from Gresham or Barlow. It's like, yeah, they're not going to be able to, you know, probably make it out or, you know, you'd hope they would, but some of those driveways, you know, they're out in like the middle of nowhere. Maybe they're snowed in. Who knows? I, I would usually be in the camp of coming on here and making fun of everyone for not getting on the roads, but, uh, I got spooked after last year, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change. That was bad, man. That, that was, was a legit that, that was a legit storm. Like that was that one was a legit storm. But as you said, this was a pretty good weekend to be hunkered in because we had a pretty entertaining Oregon men's basketball game on Saturday. Kind of not very good NFL playoff games, but they were still NFL no. playoff games. Um and then we had True Detective last night, which I watched. I watched Shane. And so we can talk about we'll that. We'll talk at the end. end. We'll talk at well, the end of the you, podcast. You're almost bearing the lead. The other thing we had was just a constant um you know, unraveling of, of coaching rumors and tirings <laughs> and transfer portal comings and goings on Twitter. I mean, Twitter was, this was a big weekend for sports Twitter. Well, so that's, I was worried throughout the storm that we were going to lose power. And with the amount that my phone was sucking the Twitter, I mean, Twitter was sucking the battery out of my, my phone. I was, I was worried that I was just going to go through all my power banks because it, it was, um, Man, I just I, I feel bad for Washington in the sense that, you know, it's it's kind of a lot of flashbacks of the last basically eight years of being an organ related media outlet or, or fan or, or whatever you are. But uh, <laughs> my big takeaway from the, the, the weekend is like nobody can even fans can't like play the loyalty card because as sad as Washington is or as upset as Washington fans were with Kalen DeBoer, like. They go get Jed Fish from Arizona, who goes and does the exact same thing to his team. It's just, it's just a constant food chain. We should pull the curtain back here. We recorded last week. We did, and the podcast never got the, put the, out. The podcast. Well, and and the thing is, is we've recorded podcasts where like it's been completely my fault, where like I delay it like two or three or four days, and it's dated. This one, like the plan was, we recorded on Wednesday, and it was going to go Thursday morning, and like that's not that outlandish in the off season of a turnaround. And the thing was dated within like four hours. Yeah. I mean, we had the saving stuff and then immediately it goes into landing. I mean, there's so much to talk about here. I almost, you started kind of on the board there. Um, you know, they get Jed Fish, which I think is a really good hire. I don't think it will necessarily reflect immediately. That being said, and this could actually be dated, even if you put this out later today, um, you know, they might bring their quarterback over from Arizona. They could bring, you know, their star receiver, um, some other guys. But I think it was a good hire, and I think if you're Oregon and you're hoping that that rivalry continues to be continues to have some semblance of competitiveness, 
I think you have to give that, you know, at least a B. I feel, and I'm not, I don't know everything about Jed Fish other than he was a pretty undersold hire when Arizona hired him a few years ago. And he's basically transformed that program from one that had, I mean, they were terrible when he took that program over to, they were outside of Oregon, Washington's tough game this year. Um, but he, he kind of also strikes me as kind of almost like a similar coach to position against Oregon and Lanning, like a little bit undersold, like he's kind of not quite about the way they go about his business, but I feel like kind of like the right, like the, the flashiness of Oregon and like Washington's, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but I feel like the, the rivalry will kind of have the same leanings towards it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, what, you know, you said you know too much about Jed Fish, and I, I think most people probably have heard the name, um, but probably more this year with how good Arizona was. But you think about it, he comes in after the after the pandemic season in terms of, and I think that was the year that they didn't win a single game, and it was a shortened schedule. Uh, they got blown out by Arizona State that year. Then they went 5-7 and seven in 2022, and then, you know, this year they doubled that, parlayed that into a 10-win season. Um, and so he's kind of, you know, he's riding high off that, and I'm curious your perception of the job at Arizona versus the job at Washington. Does that feel like a big difference to you? I know there's probably some, you know, if under the surface, there's probably some things there financially that are different. It, well, well, so, well, so I think that's the biggest thing because if, if Arizona was flying at the same financial clip Washington was, I think it would, I think there's a lot of attractive things about Arizona. You know, I, I've always kind of made the, the comment that I'm, uh, mystified every time that Arizona loses recruiting battles to like Northern States, just because of weather and where you can practice and like campus and all those sorts of things. But, um, you know, I was following some of the reporting, like Michael Lev down in Arizona was just saying that basically like with the money that Washington is paying fish here, like Arizona just flat out couldn't afford to pay him that like, it's, right. it's just different financial landscape. And, you know, and even you have if the they, big 10. yeah. And like, you know, I, I still think Seattle is, I mean, this was a team that went to the national championship this last year. Like it's, it's kind of a, not a proven concept, but it's, it's a program that has that ability. And we just haven't seen that from Arizona. You know, they, they haven't been a competitive football program like that since the last time the Ducks beat them in the Pac-12 championship game, which was a decade ago. So, um, yeah, I, I think Washington's a better job and I think a lot of it's financials, but I, you know, it's. I don't think this is like uh, I I think it's it's similar respects to Alabama poaching Wash or DeBoer from Washington. It's like they're both kind of like good to elite jobs, but it's it, you know it's kind of like yeah. reverse get yeah. Well, since we're going backwards here, let's talk DeBoer. Um, he makes all the sense in the world when you look at like how quickly he's risen. The fact that he brought Washington where it went, his winning a percentage, how shrewd he is as a coach. And yet I was still a little taken aback when his name started to first get tossed around because you just don't think like landing is a very obvious connecting or there's the connective tissue there was a little obvious in terms of okay, grad assistant there, SEC ties, recruiter. DeBoer's not known for any of those things. Well, it sounded like you had a similar reaction just by the the face you made there. Yeah, I was I was just thinking because I I don't know if DeBoer has a better year at Washington than the one that he just had now. Like I, I think that might have been right. the best best season you can have because it was just the culmination of so many things coming together at the right time, especially with maybe he saw the writing on the wall. Yeah, a Michael Penix at quarterback, and you know they they don't have like a full. Uh, depth chart of five-star recruits like you know you're they're building out you know i think position for the next five years oregon's in a far better position than than washington is right now and so maybe if you're alabama and you're looking at it you you think okay this guy can actually like win games on the field and maybe the recruiting takes care of itself but also like right you know i i think i think people are going to find out that a lot of the lure of alabama was to play for saban and not necessarily just like going to tuscaloosa too yeah, and he, he brought Grubb on as the OC, you know, who's at Washington with him. I think they'll be a really good team, like I do. Um, that being said, it's going to be interesting. His first SEC game is against Kirby. They're playing Georgia, you know, right out of the gates in SEC play. 
Um, I wonder, right, because if they're able to retain this roster, it's a really good roster. What does this roster look like in two, three, four years when it's, you know, quote unquote, Kalen's guys? Like, what right. does that group look like? Or does he does he do what he did at Washington and he makes it a transfer portal destination, right? Possible. I, I think that would take several years to kind of for, for Bama to go from a hot, you know, big, big time recruiting school to big time portal school. Not that Bama hasn't done that, but I think that would take some time. Um, you know, it's funny. We talked about Kalen DeBoer, um, you know, maybe leaving in our podcast last week. And I don't think either of us really saw it happening this quickly. We talked about that, you know, the title game and the fallout of that. Um, but I mean, how quick has this all changed for Washington? Like even, even those Oregon years, it doesn't feel like it's, it's, it's fallen that swiftly. Yeah, because every, I mean, when Cristobal left, everyone loved Cristobal. I mean, sorry, I wouldn't say everyone loved Cristobal, but like that was, that was a good coach who did a lot for a program, but it's not like he was coming off like his best year ever. Like it was a pretty devastatingly disappointing Pac-12 championship game to Utah. Like they had a couple of down games that season, you know, I, like DeBoer is the best, like at I think at Washington, they were ready to build the damn statue probably, you know, yeah, three or four right. weeks ago and, and to lose that in, in that fashion and that quickly after the national championship game. Um, and that's just kind of another folly of what college football is these days is these decisions have to come so quickly. Um, the fact that like we're in January and uh, I, I, I respect both athletic directors at Alabama and Washington for being able to fill these spots so quickly because it's, you know, it's it's kind of a mess at this time of the year. If if you're if you get behind in the recruiting and putting together your staff and all that sort of thing, if you're if you're the last one without a chair, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, I saw this out there, and with how much fake information is out there, you know, I hope that there was some semblance of truth to this. But I'm putting that disclaimer out there. I saw that there was something about DeBoer had had some contact with Alabama before the national championship t- uh, game. Again, I don't know if that's true, although I would believe that Saban would have given maybe some heads up to the um, university before actually just retiring like that, given how quickly they made this all happen. And it makes you wonder, like, was Washington distracted? I don't know. You know, the answer is honestly probably not, but you have to kind of consider that. And that, it makes me wonder, it makes me really, you know, know that there's a better way to do all this because the schedule makes no sense. Like, why, why are coaches and teams that are more successful deeper into the year then somehow penalized with how quickly this can all disintegrate because of the timelines. You you have to imagine that in in DeBoer's head, like his perfect exit was win Washington that national title, and then it's kind of like a like okay, you, like you got us this, now you can go to Alabama, sort of thing. And obviously that's that's not how it panned out, and um, never really how it works. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I you you've seen the 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 different stuff that's leaked out of like the the twenty five percent of the players who showed up at the exit meeting, the the audio that leaked out where he's kind of like making and not really owning it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of yeah. like you know, I had to make this decision. It's like, you know, just say you're going to Alabama, man. Like, just just be a. Uh, but well, I, but I, I will say I will say the biggest the biggest winner out of all of this has been Oregon and Dan Lanning because they're yeah, right they're still you know there's not really ever been a report saying that Lanning was offered the job but it was just kind of assumed because um, you know it's that's the kind of the stratosphere in which he coaches and his links to Alabama and there was a couple like Brett you know the Brett McMurphy tweet that said that Lanning was going to be the top candidate. And maybe he was in consideration for it. Maybe he wasn't. But ultimately, he got to have like, you know, a Twitter video put out there that got millions of impressions. And I think really kind of owned the news cycle with this once again, which is pretty incredible considering that Alabama was the one making the hire. It was incredible. What did you think of the video? I thought it was awesome. Um, like there's there's definitely days with college football where it's like, okay little bit overly dramatic did we need that did we need this and you could make all those arguments about that video but i think the fact that then other schools came out and did the same thing like dabble had Dude, one. the dabble one was had... so the, the dabble one was so cheesy too like... that one yeah and even the sarkeesian one the fact that i mean that the i5 that... corridor one was pretty sick though i liked that one. i was yeah. gonna say there was yeah. one that was able to kind of you know stand above the rest um but the fact that you had all those other schools doing it in such quick succession, 
it kind of shows you that they were onto something. I mean, they they flipped it into a recruiting pitch. I mean, look at what they keep doing. I mean, they get Evan Stewart the other day. They get um, Jamari Caldwell. I mean, they just keep adding these guys that aren't just going to be, you know, day one impact guys, but day one starters that could probably go to the NFL after a year. I, I'm convinced that Dan Lanning and his staff mixed with Oregon's social power they're the best off-season school in the country. I mean, there's other schools that have larger bases and and more um, just sheer firepower maybe in terms of NIL and this or that, but there's there's very rare times when they misstep in this time of the year. And and I don't even mean this as like a, oh, they win the off-season, but they can't win the, like the, you know, Dan Lanning's in his, he just finished his second year of a coach as being a coach. Like, I think he's going to get a lot better at this too. Um, but it, it cons- consistently amazes me whether it was even them closing like with the top five recruiting class last year. And then the the stupid cigar video afterwards that trended, you know, like they, they kind of know when to hit their spots. Um, and that, that video team is becoming so clutch for them because even dating back to the start of the year and them doing like the, the day after recaps, like, maybe those were being done somewhere else, but those really kind of set the trend for like the rest of the country because everyone started, I mean, Washington started copying them too. (laughs) We're starting to get closer and closer to Oregon and the big 10 and it really being a thing. And it was one of these things where you hear about it when it first starts to come out, these schools moving, it's like, Oh, it's 2024, 25. It felt very far away. I don't know if you had the similar, like I just, I remember hearing this news. It's like, okay, you know, you've got some time though. It's here now, and it's got me thinking about how these things will translate. And I was thinking about the Washington thing. You're thinking, okay, Washington loses all this talent, coaching turnover. If they were still in the Pac-12, all of a sudden you're like, well, that's almost a, that's almost a negative for Oregon because like, where are the resume builders in that schedule, right? With USC being down, with Washington being down. And now all of a sudden you look at the schedule next year, you play Michigan, whatever that team looks like, whoever's coaching it, whoever's playing on it. They're going to probably be a top 10 team in San Ann Arbor. And then the game I'm looking at now is like, you're going to have Ohio State in mid-October coming into Austin. Both teams should be top five and unbeaten. It's going to be a mammoth matchup. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, if Washington is not in the top 25, it doesn't make or break Oregon's season the way it might have in the past, especially with the four team in the Pac-12. How how different is that than I think maybe two podcasts ago we were talking about, well, if if Washington wins the national championship, that's going to put all eyes on their matchup next year. And, and this becomes like a, a, a much. And now it's kind of like. All right, you know, that's the rivalry game. And and again, Washington one has one, two of these in a row. You can't really get ahead of yourselves, but it's. Yeah, it, it's been a transformative like last two weeks for for both of these programs. Yeah, it really has. And I mean, I don't know. I I think, I mean, I'm certainly excited about what's to come for just Big Ten football in general and these matchups. And I think even the people that were really skeptical, you're starting to see that swing where it, like the pendulum's coming back a little bit. And when we have those first matchups, when it's, when it's in Oregon and it's in Ohio State and you have all some, you know, you know that I mean, even Michigan's got a you know a hell of a, a schedule next year. I think they play Texas, and not that that's a Big Ten thing, right? But like when you start getting more of these matchups, I find it hard to believe that people won't be in on that. I wonder. I wonder what it's going to feel like four years from now when Ohio State's coming for you know the second or third time, and and these aren't necessarily so fresh, just because. You know how, like, in the NFL, like, every single game is tough, like, even if it's, like, a top or bottom team. Like, I wonder if some of the just kind of the luster that you had, like, around, like, this year's Washington game and and kind of, like, how, you know, you play, like, maybe one or two of those a year that get that hyped up. It's going to be awesome next year. It's going to be awesome the year after that. I'm just I'm just curious, like, how the overall um, cadence and rhythm of the schedule feels for, you know, all of us who have been watching football for a very long time. I mean, how are how are new rivalries going to form? Like, what will it take? Will it take just like one really crazy back and forth gritty game of high ranked teams for it to be like, okay, let's do this again next year, right? Like, there's going to be like that. There, there's going to be like that one uh, headhunter from Rutgers that's like, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like 
Right. Yeah, but I, but I that that's one thing that I am looking forward to. Um, I'm going to get more into this uh, tomorrow um, on the corridor, but I really want to get into kind of previewing all these big, big 10 teams and, and kind of like getting into like where the might like where the new rivalries might form and, and just kind of some of Oregon's like past history with these teams. You know, it's not as thorough with some as others, but um, you know, I, I think there has, I think we've gone through the, the sadness of the PAC 12 ending and kind of like the obit of that. And now it's really kind of time to embrace, as you said, kind of this new exciting era of football coming up, not just football, but, but hoops too. I was watching it on TV this morning, you know, Michigan and Ohio state were on TV and I was like, Oh yeah. Like next year, like this game's going to be, this game's going to matter. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's cool that there's been these matchups recently in terms of like, okay, like let's say, let's say it's Michigan and Ohio State because we're just talking about that. Or excuse me, um, Oregon and Ohio State. You had the Natty 10 years ago. You had that crazy game with Anthony Brown. They go into Columbus. You have this game. It's dude, setting dude up how, 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 how crazy is that result in retrospect that Oregon went in and beat C.J. Stroud in Columbus with Anthony Brown? Yeah, well, and the, all those receivers. Yeah, like with no, with no kid that, on Thibodeau in that game either mind-boggling to me um so it was like yeah it's like again does it just take one more game for these like really high profile fan bases uh, programs and these big fan bases to start kind of butting heads in, in a way that is actually kind of cool will that happen with you know michigan and washington because those teams have played both Natty and then you know michigan beat washington to start this whole run three years ago now that was like their first win of that season three years ago um, so that's what I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing, um, anything else that all this coaching movement and, and player movement and big 10 has you kind of thinking about that maybe you weren't before. I'd like to do, and this, this is something that might not be for a few years, years from now, but I would just like to, to kind of dive into the numbers of like average coach length stay at, at universities and, and just see how much that's changing now. Cause you know, it's it's not necessarily a new concept that coaches jump from school to school, but the the head coaches seems it just seems like it's okay now. Like not not that like you know, coaches would justify moves here or there, like for any reason in the past, but it, it just seems like it's now just kind of expected, kind of like the stepping stone stone roles of other programs and, and also how quickly top schools move on from coaches as well too. just the expectations and the money behind it. I, I think, um, I think it's just really disrupted college football and I don't know if it's going to get any better with, with the stakes getting that much higher as well. And there's no like compensatory picks, you know, like how the NFL does that whole thing. Like these smaller programs and they find these really smart guys on these other staffs somewhere. They, they find these diamonds in the rough. And then they give them a platform and then they use the platform and go somewhere else. And you'll, these schools don't get anything out of it. I mean, you get the, if you're, if you're buying the coach out, I guess they get the money back. Right. But that's not really what it's about. Um, and I don't think there's ever going to be something like, okay, we're taking your coach, but here's a blank, you know, here's our best receiver. Like it's never going to be like that, but it, it, it sucks because you're right. Like what schools aren't stepping schools? <laughs> Can you name more than like 10 at this point? It doesn't, you know, it's just crazy. Well, well, yeah. I mean, Washington just went to the national freaking championship, and like their coach seemingly was easily easily had, you know, like right. And like, is Bama one of the two, three schools that could have done that? Probably, but still, it's like, if it's you get to the Natty at that school, why are you leaving, right? And then you obviously have that at the. I'm, I've been answering a mailbag question this week of somebody which is asking about like the coordinators, and this is the first time I think since twenty. I think 2018 that Oregon's had the, that hasn't had to replace either one or the other coordinators. Well, you know, Stein's name is being thrown around for Arizona now. He's not ready for that, is he? We wouldn't have, would you have said that about Dillingham? I think Stein needs like one more year and I, I don't know. Like who, who the hell knows? Like, I, but, yeah, but like, like well, you know, I, I know what you're saying, but like, why, like, why like right, why yeah. you know what what yeah. are we pointing to at this point like and and also it's again that's that's what i was kind of talking about earlier of you don't want to be the last person without a chair it's like 
you know, at this point, Arizona's not going to go poach like a head coach, like a, a meaningful head coach from somebody, right? <laughs> Shit, I don't know. Probably uh, not. But I mean, they're coming off of a great season. And if you get someone in there, like, and you're like, we have a chance of keeping some of this talent, like, that's not a bad raw. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Oh, who knows? Uh, you want to do some hoops? Yeah. Um, could have potentially been like one of the most disappointing working games in recent memory where you get in folly Dante back and you're undefeated in pac 12 play. And then all of a sudden you're down by what nearly 20 in the first half. It's 18. Cal. Yeah. Eight, 18. Um, you know, Cal Cal was looking pretty frisky coming into the game, but also it's not like this has been a world beating bears team. Although they've been way better than their record. And I think I told you that maybe on a podcast or maybe over text. In, in, in the pod that, that will n- never find the light of day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, thankfully that was a zoom one. I didn't feel as bad about that one non-airing have if, yeah. if you had driven across town. Um, also wasn't our first one to never see the light of day. Yeah. It also, anyways, I digress. Um, yeah, I like it gritty. Sometimes you need to, to win those ones and I'm, I'm glad they, they were able to come back. What, what did you kind of take away from that game? Yeah. Like you said, I mean, they get down 18 Dante plays a bit. Um, I I figured they would be able to come back. They like all went team like they were gonna make a run, right? With how much time left. I was shocked at that. They got down to six by halftime. And then, you know, felt like we were like three minutes in the second half and Shell set hits that key at the top, or excuse me, that three at the top of the key and they take the lead. It's like, okay, well, they're gonna, you know, kind of start cruising now. Um it's every game with this team where there's a different guy. Um where, you know, everybody has their moments, right? But I know Quendo has that dunk, which is like one of the best dunks any Oregon players had probably since Kenny Wooten was at the school, aside from that Dante one last year. But yeah, like the plays that like Tracy's making like defensively and then the, like the th- the threes he's hitting, um, it just seemed like they're in a really good spot right now. I don't know if there was one big takeaway, but I, they, like, they, they, they can they afford just... to kind of ease in Dante. As as you kind of texted me, like it, it helps when you have – multiple guys like coming off the bench that could probably start too. like, like there's just a lot of depth there. Um, and the team just really, when they have to like crunch down and focus, like they do a really good job of it. Like, I, I think they respond super well to Altman's coaching and. It you know. seems co- like they're coachable. They seem like, the, you know, they do those little um, cinematic things for the hoops teams too. And I haven't really been watching all of them, but I caught one the other day. It might've been the Washington game. And I don't remember who it was. It might have been Tracy in the huddle with him. And he was just shouting something out. He was like, hey, you know, good job with this. And Tracy just has this huge smile. I was like, it's just good to see stuff like that. Like that kind of like the coaching's working. They're playing hard. And then Altman's like actually, you know, saying nice things to them. I don't know. Right. Pretty overly simplified way of looking at this. But that was after the um... – what game did I go cover? It was when they played um... – USC and I was asking uh, KJ. It was like, hey, like how how often is Altman yeah. like complimentary versus? I mean, because like you know, most of the time you just see him like screaming at dudes, and it's often like get back and you know stomping his foot. And so I asked him Banging like how his often hand on the scores table. Yeah, and so I was asking, I was asking like, do you guys like ever get like an attaboy or you know like how often? And and KJ actually said it's like about a one to one ratio, which is. Is better than I than I anticipated it being. Maybe it's because Altman's getting a little softer in his old age, or maybe he actually like really likes these guys. But I have, I legitimately have seen kind of since he he said that like little moments where like you kind of like see kind of, you know, in between timeouts or or breaks in the action, like the the little kind of like hand around the back, like quick coaching, like saying something off, and like it, it seems like Altman enjoys um, that this team is receptive to him in that way. I hope that when guys get healthy, well, I realize now it's really just Dante and maybe Biddle, but I hope is one, maybe both of those guys continue to get kind of into the rotation and inevitably the rotation then starts to shrink, excuse me, shrink as, as the season goes on and we get into late February, early March, that guys still have that same sort of mentality when they get in, in terms of impacting the game. Like we were talking, I think again, in the, in the podcast, we didn't air about Bartholomew and how like he seems all of a sudden like kind of the odd man out and he would not have been my first choice for that but just doesn't seem like he can always find his role he's not the best shooter he's not the best playmaker 
then he had a really good game against Cal. Like I thought he had some really smart passes and some great stretches. Um, and so if guys can just be willing to like, okay, tonight's one of those nights, like, that's where I'll be curious to see. Cause I think it, I imagine it would get hard if you're a role player that just doesn't know when your next minutes are coming. Do do you imagine that Dante needs to be a, f- or let me rephrase that. How much do you think Dante needs to contribute offensively to be an impact or is, is his main contribution coming back in a defensive role? Just because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking just by how well that offense was flowing before he came back, and like, how does that work when you all of a sudden put a, a seven footer in there who, you know, isn't necessarily the quickest guy on the floor? No, I'm glad you asked that because I've been thinking about this, and I think his fit on this team is better than ever. They desperately need rim protection, yes, but they also have really good versatile defenders they can put around him. Like that lineup, if they go like Dante, KJ, Tracy like Cousinard, and then, you know, maybe Shellstead. Like, that's a good defensive lineup. Like, that's some guys that can really get after it. And then on offense, they have the ability to throw him the ball when things slow down and they need a bucket. But Dante's, like, a fairly good passer out of the post at this point in his career, and their shooting is better than it's been since Dante was, what, like a sophomore at yeah. this point? So, like, the, the, the you know, driving kicks have fueled this offense, but now you have the, you know, the kickouts from the post. And then the other thing is, I was just talking to – um, you know, a former kind of NBA film scout about this for an article I'm working on. Like he's wanted to see more out of Shellstad playmaking wise. And like they haven't had a center to run pick and roll with. They're running it with KJ and like he's good at that, but that's not his thing. Imagine you get Dante on a roll now. That hmm. looks so different. Hmm. It'll be it'll be fun to watch Shellstad with that caliber of a big man too, just because obviously he didn't have that playing high school in Oregon. Didn't have <laughs> yeah, a... <laughs> no, they played small ball. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have a you didn't have a seven foot all Pac twelve big man to uh, run the pick and roll with you. His 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 big man his senior year of college was basically his his backcourt mate Adrian Mosley was just like the best athlete, so they would just like have him defend the rim. So just I can't imagine how different that must feel to be out there with these guys. I always love an Oregon high school ball where like you maybe have like the really good point guard or guard and he's doing like that pick and roll stuff with the guy who's like usually the tight end on the football team or. Yeah, <laughs> man, it's funny. The other thing that's funny, and this is not a new thing, but how readily coaches just lie about heights on the rosters and like how far off it is. Like you see one inch sometimes like, oh, basketball shoes versus not basketball shoes. I'm pulling up to these prep games like, oh, I'm curious to see, you know, so-and-so. He's 6'7". It's like, oh, you're one inch taller than me. I'm 5'11". Like, what are we doing here? I, I was going to say, like, what do you think is the most BS height that, like, if you see it on the roster, like, it immediately, probably, like, that 6'6", six, six, or maybe even, like, 6'4". Like, because nobody's putting, like, 6'4 yeah. on a roster unless they're, like, maybe, like, 6'1", right? Right, but that's the thing. It's like you – it's. it's you know, the five nine guys are getting the six foot treatment. The six, you know, they're listed six four. They're probably six one, and then you get the six seven guys. It's like, going okay, up exponentially. Six, yeah, right. There's very few guys I've seen in the high school scene the last two years that seem um, like they they line up with the height they're listed as. I mean, it may stick out. Trust me. Who uh, um, who who's worth watching on the Oregon high school circuit this year? Mm, man, it's really wide open. Um, you, you were up in my side. next. You you were up in my neck of the woods at Roosevelt a couple weeks ago, right? Roosevelt's good, man. Yeah. They got some, like just in terms of pure skill and hoopers. Like they've got a lot of them, and their coach I think is is he's a smart guy. He seems like he's doing the right kind of stuff with them this year. I think they'll be good. Man, the boys is wide open. Girls like go see Clackamas. Like they're the best team in the state by far. It's not close. Boys though. Um, Central Catholic's really good this year. They've got some some. They actually got a, a future Oregon kid in Isaac Carr. Um, some other D one guys, Walton, Jesuit Beaverton, Southridge is really good. So there's a lot of good teams. I um, mean, it should be a fun year at Childs. Um, before we get off of too much off of Oregon, though, we've talked a lot about the resume and how there's not like a lot of great wins in the Pac twelve. And Arizona just lost again, and they seem beatable. And it's like if Oregon gets them again, all of a sudden Arizona's got three losses in the Pac-12. At the same time, if Oregon keeps winning, they are just the team in the Pac-12. Dude, 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 dude. So, right? so that's what that's what I was gonna say is like at at this pace, Oregon's not necessarily assembling like a resume that's gonna edge them out. Like if they have like 
three or four losses in conference, but they just might not have three or four losses in conference. Like it's like they, yeah, like you said, they just might be the de facto Pac-12 team. And like, I, like, I don't think, right. you know, I still think that this is a TV show and like, they're, <laughs> like they're still like, like ultimately they're probably going to like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the ducks are in a good spot, even if Arizona's faltering, uh, And and this is a team that looks like it would be built pretty well for a tournament environment if it happens to get oh, to Vegas yeah. where they have to play through something like that. Yes, agreed. You know, Arizona, like, Oregon will never have the out-of-conference wins that Arizona compiled, right? Um, but uh, people know what was happening with this roster, so that will be factored in to some degree, probably not enough, um, which is understandable. There's too much to monitor. But again, like you know, Arizona's. I think they're they're three and two now, four and two in conference play. So Oregon's two games ahead of them. Like that's enough of a buffer that if Oregon keeps doing their thing, and especially if they split with Arizona, they could just outright win the the conference, which I don't think we saw coming. Granted, they have a lot of work to do, but there's not too many other teams that really strike fear in terms of you know even Colorado's dipping, Utah's dipping. So you, you know what you know what's a little sneaky is that. Their end of February road trip, they go play Cal and Stanford. Um, and Stanford, again, not a great record, but they did just beat Utah at Stanford. And just the way the schedule worked this year, the Ducks didn't get to play Stanford at home. Um, again, like that's that that's not a, a road trip that anybody nationally is going to care about. But I think that's like the one sneaky. I was just looking ahead, and I think that's like the one potentially sneaky one, especially with some of their struggles there historically. Well, and they still have to win in Colorado, which they have not done much of, right? Eh, you know, that's that'll be easy. I mean, every time I've heard Altman say interviews about Colorado, he's talked about how easy it is to win there and how much he loves playing there. And just historically, it's been where some of his most triumphant wins have come as a head coach. No doubt. Um, yeah, it's been cool. And I'm glad <laughs> that we're still, I mean, what is it today? Is the January 15th and we're still talking hoops with, you know, some positivity? Yeah, that's I rare, like it. In terms of the past few years. Okay, we're done with sports. It's time for the podcast it's, it, to start. It's, it's time. It's it's been it's been quite a while since Shane and I have had a show to talk about, and the last one was really Succession, which ended in what was that May? Yeah, yeah, very moonlighted for a while. It was a show we like <laughs> to talk about. But... Yeah, um, I've never watched True Detective before. I didn't watch any of the first three seasons. The fourth season debuted on HBO. I know I gave you homework with the snow day to start the first season, but you didn't make it, huh? I, I, I didn't make it, but also I'm right in thinking that these these seasons are all individualized and exist on their own. So I watched last night. I liked it. Are they all always this kind of weird with like kind of like ghosts and supernaturally kind of like uh, that like spooky element to it no there's a spooky element to true detective someone was saying this i saw like a little like um like a snippet clip on twitter of like a i think of like one of the ringer shows and they were like there's always this inherent creepiness to true detective of like some evil being out there that's greater than the actual you know people and the crimes that was a different tone and I, that's what i'm wondering I, I wish you had seen the first season or part of it to be kind of play them off each right. other that being said like i was glad that and i guess at this point people know it's gonna be spoilers but the like ghost character that shows up is like actually not real like he could have gotten like I don't, I don't like, like, I like when stuff is believable, right? right. I don't want to suspend my disbelief in a, de in a detective show that's called True Detective. Um, <laughs> that was, yeah, it's a different, different tone. I think it kind of, I think it's going to work though. I, I did love, so it's, it's basically set up on like Alaska's North Slope, kind of like outside like the oil rigs where it's dark, the, the, the kind of show begins Not a vibe. with. Uh, the, the show, well, I'm going about to get into that though. Uh, the, the show begins with like the last sunset for, you know, the conceivable future. Um, I, I did love though, how they, as someone who grew up in Alaska and who grew up around just like that darkness though, like I, I thought they did a really good job of just kind of encapsulating that 
um, just and then just kind of like the town and and um, like it it it's spooky and it sucks, but it's not dead. And I think they did like a pretty good job of like conveying that like. Or, I don't know. Like I, I just really dug that it was in Alaska and it didn't feel like that. It was completely like, just like people air dropping this, the, the locale in Alaska. Like it feels like they kind of went out of their way to like get like a, um, a lot of the, like kind of the shots and um, the, like the feel of it. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, and the characters are from that area. Like, the, the detectives in the show Yeah. live there, which helps, right? I mean, the, it's also funny because you never know what time it is, ever, Yeah. unless they explicitly say that, and I think that's kind of cool. That's, they that's kind of disorient that, 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 things. that, that, that is a really interesting thing in the filmmaking options for that. Yeah. Cause it is disorienting. Yeah, and, and you know, you know, whether they're outside or inside, you have no time. Like no, so, yeah, I don't know. I think that'll be fun for them to play with. Um I like that they just kind of ripped the bandit off and went straight into it. Like there's absolutely versions of this show or other, other detective shows, mystery shows where the first disappearance kind of that they like alluded to happens at the end of the first episode Yeah, where they spend the whole first episode and doing there's this a kind lot of, of a lot of like preface, like right. Corny backstory. character building, which they did some of, not that it was corny, but I like that they just went straight forward, and then the big reveal at the end is these like frozen, horrified faces in the ice. Um, yeah, what did you like overall? Because again, you hadn't seen True Detective before, and this is super different. Like, this is ten years after the first um, season. This is a different director. Like in terms of like where it could go, like are you excited moving Yeah, forward? no, no, I, I, I really liked the pacing. Like, like, as, as you said, like, I, I love that it just kind of dropped you in and it was like the story's going and it's, um, I, I hate that this is an excuse, but like, you know, in 2024, where all of our attention spans are so much worse than they used to be, like, you're not, they, they don't spend time getting you lost in like, having to care about these characters before like there's some drama like to be or you know before like Yeah. the mystery the mystery starts and so like i was i was hooked right away and um i again i thought it was shot well the acting was really good i'm i'm interested in like you know it's it's hard to starting like a mystery show because like i feel like you're like trying to watch and be like way too analytical about like every little thing
it was like we're closing the blinds because it's never dark. Uh, man, uh, the worst on the yeah on the flip side of that, it would be like you know ten thirty p.m. in the summer. I had a job where I had to be at work at five thirty mowing lawns, and you know you'd have friends like texts like, "Hey, like we're getting like home run derby going, like come out and play." Like, all right, it's still light. Like, it can't be that late. And then you get back and it's like 1 a.m. And then you're running on three hours of sleep. And uh, it was the best way to grow up. I loved I loved that part. But the winners can can really suck. Well, we'll have to have like the Tyson Alaska lore corner every week then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll huddle, up, huddle up next to my electric fireplace here and, yeah. and tell stories of. I remember when I found dead bodies in the, like, in the ice. I don't think that ever happened, but yeah. I don't know. But but we can fabricate, you know. It's it's a podcast. The ghost part, listens. though. Yeah, or as uh, well as uh, Emmanuel Acho uh, said this week, you know, it's God. I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> did you did you see his thing with Twitter this week where he was floating? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Anyways, we don't need to give him any more airtime. Uh, did you eat anything good during the storm, Shane Hoffman? Got some pho last night in a banh mi. Oh, nice! Delicious Where? as always. Uh, you uh, you said you you had an excellent banh mi a couple weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah, man. We have, we we I haven't guess... talked about that. We haven't talked about that one. Yeah, I made I made a pretty damn good banh mi. I went to H Mart. Um, I, lo- I love H Mart. Yeah, I hadn't been really. I'm trying to think. Maybe briefly a long time ago. Where where's the H Mart out by you? It's not. I mean, I went to the one off Belmont. In, in, okay. I usually go to the um, one out in, in Beaverden, like because it's kind of near the hockey rink. But. Yeah, that makes more sense. Um, yeah, so I got a ton of stuff. Like I just went crazy. Um, and like among the purchases was like a little like container of of row. Like I, I think it was tuna row, which like it's just like it's ridiculous <laughs> over the top garnish. I like it, but it's just like it, I it, I didn't need to get it right. Right. So like made this I made Man, this that, cable. That, that that freelance life. That sounds nice. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a six dollar yeah. thing, right? Yeah. But uh so I made this like poke bowl with it and then like a day or two later I had stopped by a grocery store and I had this like focaccia loaf. And I have these like marinated veggies because I do like making banh mi's every once in a while. So I made like a pork banh mi with all this stuff on this focaccia and like I like put roe in it. It just was just just beautiful monstrosity it was you, so you were you good. were so proud of yourself when you texted me that picture too <laughs> oh yeah it was a great picture ah that that outdoes my cooking efforts we did um we did a grilled cheese and tomato soup night a couple nights ago got like some good Man, uh simple but efficient taste dude it, it was exactly what it needed to be too um got a uh, some some aged cheddar and gruyere mixed in there mm. um on some sourdough and mm. then uh and then we made some nachos you know just simple plain you know we're 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 doing rations here in the i5 corridor offices it's it's supposed to be man uh, nachos fantastic i love both of those out of you um here's what i'm making tonight you want to know yeah hit me with it um salmon chowder <laughs> okay i'm interested so you know you're thinking regular con chowder base and do some turkey bacon in there, potato, you know, um, green onion, uh, jalapeno, corn, salmon. Yeah, should does be it, good. Does it have to be turkey bacon? No, just I I've been in a little kick with turkey bacon lately. That's Feels the healthier, one. Tastes damn near as good. See, I I don't agree there. Like I'm. I'm good You're with staunchly and I like regular bacon. I like turkey other turkey products. Like I can do turkey burgers too. You know, like, like that mm. doesn't bother me. But I feel like bacon is like one of those things. Like bacon's bacon, and it should be bacon. And turkey bacon's not bacon. I'm not out here eating like a like impossible meat. You know, it, it's it, still. It, it, I mean, it kind of sounds like you're getting close. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Though you inspired me, maybe I'll make some nachos. I was thinking burritos, but it's all the same stuff, so maybe I could double dip. If if you're thinking you're going to make good nachos, are you going ground beef or are you going? Are you? I make chicken. Yeah, I cut up chicken thighs and and cook them kind of beforehand, and then I like let them cook a little bit more on the. And then you kind of do like a fine dice on that. Not even that fine, but yeah, like you know, little chunks. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm ex- I'm inspired now. I might have to do that again tonight too. We're we're gonna go hit do uh, a store run before uh, Ice Icepocalypse 2.0 hits. Yeah, tonight, I'm probably so. gonna see you over at the store, huh? I I, I hope not because that means <laughs> we live on opposite sides <laughs> of town. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all the stores are sold Joe? out. Where, where do you shop at? Dude, there's no Trader Joe's remotely close to us like i'm i'm within walking distance of a safeway and fred meyer and like both of them kind of go through phases where they're either like okay or terrible <laughs> um fred meyer sneaky expensive it, it can be safe safeway has been doing this thing where like it's like a digital coupon thing where you get it like stuff on top of your already number that you punch in um mm. so if you if you go and look at the coupons you can get some pretty good deals but they, I mean, there's a there's a Trader Joe's that's over in Vancouver. I guess that's way closer to me than to you, though. Yeah, like there's maybe like three Trader Joe's that I'm about like a 15, 20 minute drive from, which like at the end mm. of the day isn't that bad. But also like if I were to go drive to Trader Joe's, I'm passing about like 15 other grocery stores in the process. So and you've got a you've got a new seasons up there, but that place is Dude. ruthlessly expensive. Yeah, the, the the corridor isn't quite on a new seasons uh, grocery shopping budget. That being oh. said, dropping tomorrow, quarter 2.0, if you have 2. a good 1. year, you might start shopping at New Seasons. I will say I do go do the New Seasons like lunch buffet sometimes. I'll get like the mac yeah, and cheese. That's good. And, uh, I love their but, potato wedges. But it's really uh, – the quality has really dropped post-COVID, which, you know, to some degree should have been expected for like a year or two. But like it's 2024, guys. Like let's let's do this thing. I'm really glad we did this, man. Has been illuminating to say the least. Yeah, I think so. I think our classic. I, I think know, our. I think our 50, listeners 50 really. Split. Yeah, I, I feel like they really know us better and can identify more with um, certifiably the best sports podcast in Portland. I wish you had analytics on how far people make it through the episodes. I, I actually do, and I haven't shared those with you because I don't have I don't have the faith to break your heart like that. <laughs> Fair enough. What do you got uh, coming this week? Uh, we both guys. Yeah, we, it's, it's 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 going to be a good week. Just uh, check out the corridor tomorrow. You'll have a, a better roadmap to what's coming. But um, I'm going to be writing a lot more. So see you guys later. Bye. Bye.